Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 196 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you by Acoustic Disc, where they just put out a brand new Dogworks volume. Gosh, such great stuff, man. I'm loving what Dog is doing right now. He's also got the Dandy Barnes podcast, Acoustic Encounters, that they do. Head over to Acoustic Disc. You can also sign up your email over there, and they'll send you a free treat of the week. Speaking of emails... I'll start drawing winners for the ticket giveaway that the Blue Highway Fest is doing. They're giving away some four-day passes and some two-day passes. So if you haven't already sent me an email about free tickets, there's a link in this description right below where you can click on. It'll take you to my contact page. I'll also put another post up on Instagram and Facebook. All you have to do is respond tickets. Again, the con- or the, the concert, the festival, I should concert, that's crazy. This is a just a giant incredible event october 11th through the 14th here coming up in big stone gap virginia if you want to go just put tickets and i'll be drawing winners and contacting you next week the lineup's incredible i mean larry sparks dan tominski sam bush tim o'brien uh, blue highway it's it's crazy it's so good it's wednesday through saturday an incredible lineup and the incredible people at blue highway fest are giving you a chance to go for free So be sure to uh, enter before it's too late. I'll be drawing probably Monday. So there we go with that. Hope everybody is doing well. Getting ready to head over to the uh, Monroe Mandolin Camp. I can't wait to do that. Get to meet Paul Duff in person for the first time. And you can see see the Duff that he built in 2012 that I play and love so much. Have him do a little bit of a once-over on that. Will Kimball will be there as well. And I'm going to be doing a really cool thing. I'm going to be doing a, a... kind of a live stream I guess it's not going to be live though because the capabilities are just so tough to do but I'm going to record the podcast and uh, I think we're going to do a couple things I think we're going to do a little bit of a mandolin tasting sort of thing where guys will talk about their mandolins and play a little bit on it and then one thing we are definitely going to be doing as well is the next day they're going to be doing a live show with a band and we're going to go over three different Monroe tunes and how the players approach them and why these four people who learned these songs from the same source I'll play them a little bit differently. So I think that'll be really interesting. And then we'll also talk to some of the background players as well about how they approach the tunes and what they're listening for in these Monroe songs. So can't wait to do that. Also, IBMA right around the corner as well. That was a blast the last two years. I can't wait to do that. What uh, So much music. I'm super excited for that. Not much time home, though. Just got back from we played Greenville last night in South Carolina. We had a special guest, Lindsey Pruitt, who plays with the John Stickley Trio. I know there's no mandolin in that band, but they're incredible. And to have her play fiddle with us last night at the uh, Euphoria Festival was a blast. So thank you to Lindsey. Check out John Stickley Trio. They got some great music out there. Uh, my guest this week has got a new album coming out with his with his duo. The Highland Reverie, his name is Luke Morris. He also plays in Shadowgrass, and Luke's been on my radar for a minute. Last time they were in Charleston, he shot me a direct message to come to the gig that night at the Poor House, which I couldn't make, unfortunately. Um, I love that place. I played there last Friday, and I'm playing this for, I'm playing tonight. i got to head over there shortly for load-in and sound check with my Tom Petty tribute band. So, yeah, Luke's great. Uh, the album comes out at the end of September. I'll remind you all uh, the week um, or the day that that release comes out. I'll remind you during that episode. It's great stuff. Some links to the music there, links to them as well. Let's get into the advertisers real quick. Did you get the new Lloyd Lore book yet from uh, Roger Simonoff? It's incredible. I see David Benedict also has a copy of it as well. Uh, It's more than just a book about Lloyd Lore. It is just a 
lifelong project put into print and it is unbelievable i'm flipping through it right now um roger is just one of the uh one of the experts on lloyd lore and the fact that he put this together and to be able to see it it's it in in holding your hands it's it's incredible go to siminoffbooks.com you can get one for now the holidays are coming up get one for a mandolin lover get one for yourself they're only 49.95 and it's more than worth it it's it's just an incredible piece of history thank you to roger for putting together something so remarkable so head over to siminoffbooks.com now get yourself a copy peghead nation Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. Who? How about Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. All the way from beginner to shoro. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play the best part. Go to pegheadnation.com now and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Luke is a Northfield player. He puts that thing through its pace. It sounds incredible. So head over to Northfield. Check out their Instagram as well. You're missing out if you're not following them on Instagram. Um, I was just listening to uh, the Fretboard Journal podcast, which I love listening to and highly recommend as well. Jason has been on the show, and he had um, Scott from Stringjoy Strings on there. Scott started making strings at home. It's an incredible story, and they have just put out mandolin strings in the last month and a half now, and they have sponsoring this podcast. The strings are killer. Um, they, uh, you know, the, I always find it cool. I buy all the strings and all the picks that uh, that come out whenever I can because it's the easiest way to change the tone on your mandolin or to possibly make your mandolin sound different. I think it's fun. It's way cheaper than buying a brand new mandolin. So, um, yeah, and it's even cheaper because Stringjoy is giving you 10% off your order of strings, all the strings. Guitar, they got guitar, they've got um, and mandolin, and so electric guitar. And you can just use the code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. You get 10% off. Talking about changing tone, tone slabs. Love my tone slab pick. Uh, and again, exciting news coming very soon with uh, tone slabs and mandolins and beer. They're going to be at IBMA as well. Um, go to toneslabs.com. They have all the shapes, all the thicknesses, bevels, no bevels. They'll make them however you want them. They're great to work with. David, David and Frank have something incredible going on. So go over to Tone Slabs. Get yourself a slab of tone. Uh, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins, designed and built in Austin, Texas, man. He's been putting out some beautiful Instagram things as well. They sound as good as they look. Uh, and they look incredible. So, Ellis Mandolins, thank you. And Elderly Instruments, if you're going to get yourself a new mandolin, you can always go there and check out Elderly's inventory. I do it every day, pretty much. Uh, Elderly is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments for the experienced to beginner player. The vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 51st year of business. They're family-owned and operated. Ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. 51 years. That's incredible. I'm really looking forward. They will be at IBMA as well, and I love talking with the people that work for Elderly. What a great group of people. So 
be sure you stop by the elderly booth. They're putting on some cool things too. Um, some showcases and stuff like that. So it's going to be a blast. All right. I got to get ready for loading. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. As always, be sure to head over to Instagram and Facebook. Review, leave a comment on iTunes. That stuff always helps out. I really appreciate it. I think you're going to enjoy this episode here with Luke Morris. You guys have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. Now it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Luke Morris. Luke, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and thank you for reaching out, by the way, when you were in Charleston. I really appreciate it. I wish I could have made it to the gig. It would have been awesome. I love the poorhouse, and, and you guys look like an incredible live band, so it would have been great to make it, but I will make it the next time you guys are in town. Yeah, that's hopefully so. I actually... Just found out we'll be playing the poorhouse again in, I think, November. So <laughs> you can keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'll be there, man. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. I don't think it's not, nothing's been announced officially yet, but we've got a uh, a tour where we'll be coming through with uh, the Dirty Grass players will be with us as well. So we're looking forward to it. Oh, that'll be great. Cool. Well, you guys have, um, well, you played a, a few different projects. We should first talk about. You got a, a, another project that you do with your wife. It's called Highland Reverie, and you guys have a brand new album coming out this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's that album called? So the album is called uh, Nowadays, and we've put out uh, three singles now um, uh, leading up to it. excited for it it's 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 more um you know compared to the stuff that i do with shattergrass it's a lot more i guess you could say just open harmonically like there's not a lot going on with it which is it's a very different you know style of music it's more i guess folk leaning and um still really bluegrass inspired and there's still a lot of mandolin on it but it's um not not as much uh fast notes (laughs) right on Uh, is it a full band or is it just the two of you so on this album, we've got a few songs that are just the two of us. And then most of the album actually ended up being uh, a full band. So we had uh, Kaiser George, who plays guitar with me in Shattergrass. He's uh, playing bass on the album. And then one of my good buddies, uh, Philip Beavers, playing drums on it um, as well. And that's September 29th? Yep. And then also Shattergrass, you guys have a couple sweet gigs coming up here. Um, there's uh, that young upstart named Billy Strings has got a little festival he does. <laughs> yeah, just just a little one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna gonna be going out to Colorado for a while, and uh, we get to play at the the Renewal Fest, which we're just so amped about, honestly. Yeah, how did that come about? What was that like getting that message or email? You know, it was, uh, 
I keep I keep waiting to just like for someone to like reach out to us and be like, oh, actually that was a scam. Like that didn't actually happen, <laughs> or, or, or you're actually dreaming right now, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it really it kind of came out of the blue, you know. The email did, but um, Kaiser and Clay, who are in Shattergrass, they actually did have the chance to talk to Billy a while back, and uh, um, uh, they met him at uh, Spigma in Nashville. They decided to go down there for a few days and just jam and literally just happened to run into him in the lobby. And he was just super, super cool. Um, and he's just, man, like one of the most humble people in the industry right now. It's, it's, it's incredible that he's made it as far as he's made it. And yeah. Man, that's exciting. That's going to be a, that's a really big deal. Yeah. We're, we're super, super amped. And then you're also doing Planet Bluegrass has got a uh, a new style. Uh, is it the Wildflower Fest you said it was called? Yeah, Wildflower Bluegrass Fest, I believe. And uh, it's going to be in, in Lyons, Colorado. Uh, they've got like a pavilion they're doing it in, which so it's it's going to be pretty cool. Um, we're looking forward to that as well. It's a smaller, like, you know, they're just kind of starting it up. So it's uh, a lot of our friends are on the lineup and we're, we're, we're pretty amped about that one. I, I love just being in Colorado. It's one of my favorite places to be away from home. So we're excited. So, um, how did you start playing mandolin? Where did you grow up? So I actually grew up in, uh, Galax, Virginia, which, yeah. So if you, if you know anything about like the Galax Fiddlers convention or like the history of Galax and old time music, it's, it was almost a given that if you played music in Galax, that you played bluegrass or old time. So, I pretty much uh, was kind of thrown in a guitar class at one point. Um, just like my parents were like, here, maybe you'll like this. And it pretty took to it pretty, you know, pretty much instantly. Like from the second I played guitar, I kind of, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and uh, I was about 10 at the time. And just again, through growing up in, in Galax, I ended up also picking up a mandolin because I went to a guitar workshop and the guy who was teaching the workshop, uh, Will Jones, who's a great country singer now, um, like basically threw a mandolin in my hand and said, Hey, you should try this. See if you like this. And really from the first time I played mandolin, I really knew that that was going to be my instrument in a weird way, just because of the way it made sense to me. Like guitar, there's just, a lot of things that just never clicked. I don't know if it's the weird B string or what not, you know, it's just not even, but <laughs> playing an instrument that was tuned in fifths, like finally it like music just kind of clicked for me in a weird way. Um, and you know, that was pretty much from there. I, you know, I was probably 12 when I picked up a mandolin then I would say. And, uh, started going to all the local fiddlers conventions, uh, you know, Galax is a big one, but we had a lot of other smaller local ones around the area. Um, one was uh, Elk Creek Fiddlers Convention, actually, which was in kind of, you know, back in Grayson County in uh, Virginia. And that is where I met Clay and Kaiser, who I'm now in Shattergrass with. Um, and at, we met when we were kids and basically just made a band for the Fiddlers Convention for the competition. And somehow that you know, snowballed where here we are almost 10 years later, still playing music together. That, um, I watched a documentary 
on Galax and those competitions are no joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is an, that is a, an, an intense experience. And you know how people, it's like an annual thing where they are just the minute it gets done, they're preparing for next year, which is really cool to see. Yeah. We never, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that got really, that I saw like get really into the competitions. I never really, uh, was the one that was doing much preparing. I would say I, I love the, just the jamming that goes on at the campsites and just the hanging out with friends that you only get to see once a year. Um, when it came to the actual competition itself, there's part of me that always kind of, kind of hated it to be honest. Cause I was just, I was so bad at planning anything. So I would just get up there and I would almost always just screw up in a major <laughs> way. <laughs> Who were some of the uh, mandolin players that you were listening to when you first started? You got that mandolin in your hands. You're like, this all makes sense. What was the stuff that you were working on to get better? It's kind of funny. I think the first, really the first person I remember listening to was Ricky Skaggs. And my parents had uh I want to say, is it, there's a, there's an album. I want to say it's live at Charleston actually at the music hall. Yeah. Live at the Charleston music. Yeah. Hall. Yeah. That was actually the first like bluegrass album I ever heard. All right, boys. You know, when I was even really, I was listening to that really even before I started um, playing mandolin, even before I started playing guitar. Like it was, it was just, you know, something my parents would always put on, you know, while we were making supper or whatever. And uh, that was, you know, one of the first mandolin players I listened to, I would say. And then, you know, not longer after I started, you know, messing around on a mandolin and got my first, you know, mandolin that I, my parents paid like 50 bucks for, I think. I remember just like trying to find some music that I could like, you know, get some inspiration from or just like even see what this instrument's supposed to sound like. And actually there was, it was Bill Monroe was right after that, which is kind of backwards from what a lot of people my age listen to. But it was just like something my dad had on his like iPod touch at the time. He just had a few like instrumentals. I think it was like Turkey in the Straw and... I can't remember the other one, but maybe like Fire on the Mountain. I would just listen to those two instrumentals just over and over. And, uh, and then I would say <laughs> kind of when things really like took off for me, I really got into the music. Um, I heard Nickel Creek for the first time and uh, Chris Seeley just like blew my mind, just completely like changed everything I thought I knew about music. And I got to see Nickel Creek when they did that tour in uh, 2014. So I was, 14 years old at the time. And that was like, that was when like I was really all in on mandolin, I would say at that point. 
were you working on any of the, like the Nickel Creek stuff? I just had um, Daniel Ullaman and he was talking about how he never really tried to do that the Thiele stuff because it just was so crazy. But then was that some stuff that you were trying to work on? I mean, you definitely are. A, uh, you have the capabilities to play that sort of stuff, I would say, from the <laughs> from the videos I've watched and from your record. Um, there wasn't a lot that I really sat down to learn. Um, I remember like specifically there was a few like uh, like smoothie song. I've I've like workshopped that one over and over because it was just such a cool song. Other than that, like there wasn't there wasn't many that I was really workshopping. Most of what I was playing at the time were pretty basic standards. Like um, I remember when we first got together, like as Shattergrass, uh, we were trying to find a song to play in the like the first first competition we did, and like the only song we could find that we all knew was uh, Old Joe Clark. So we were we were pretty much like we were very new to like music in general and and just playing with other people too. I mean, we just didn't like have that much, have that much repertoire yet, but yeah, there's, I, I still, I was just listening to that stuff all the time. How did you start building the repertoire? Did you guys just then start being like, we should learn more of these songs, you know, cause it, I'm, I'm, you know, going to those jams, you learn a bunch of songs, but then you have an, a year <laughs> before you go back yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. I think the jamming is a huge part of it. Um, Cause I mean, the crazy thing, like growing up, I mean, like, you know, you would wait a year, you know, for Galax, which would be like the big, you know, fillers convention, the big kind of homecoming where you see everybody. But growing up, we would be at a fiddler's convention about every weekend during the summer. So we would go from, you know, all these, and they're just, you know, really small towns. I mean, most of the time, like these fiddler's conventions, you might have like five people, you know, compete in a given category. But, uh, you know, we'd hop from like Allegheny County to Surrey County to, you know, Freeze, Virginia and, you know, obviously Galax. But there were just all these little ones. And, yeah, the jamming is where we picked up, I would say, most of our most of our repertoire. And then also just stuff we were listening to, because even early on in the band, um, I remember trying some progressive stuff and trying some of like, you know, I mentioned smoothie song. I, we did that one a few times, I think really early on just, you know, we were, we were into that as well. Were you taking any uh, lessons at that point too? Yeah, pretty, pretty early on. Um, I started taking lessons from Scott Freeman who, uh, he's a, he's a guy who teaches in, uh, Hillsville, Virginia, but, uh, it was like 20 minutes from where I grew up and, everybody you know took from him he's a great mandolin player great fiddle player great guitar player um and he's uh actually you you might have heard of his daughter um dory freeman she's been putting out music now for a while and is really doing a lot of good things and like taking off in the the folk kind of uh alternative country world but um yeah he 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 introduced me to a lot of interesting stuff as well like um we started working on a lot of David Grisman. Like he introduced me to that and uh, introduced me to Mike Marshall. I remember kind of showing, he showed me that uh, Gator Strut album, which was like 
that was another one of those things that kind of blew my mind at the time. listen to Mike Marshall every now and again I'll hear something like I'll put put it on random and you know just something will come on and then a tune will come on that Mike Marshall's on I'm like I just forget how freaking great I mean I know he's great but then every time you hear him it's like a reminder of like jeez he's just a monster player yeah this just the way like I don't know he can just play so fast and clean and just there's just I don't know there's not many people that have been able to play like him like since. I mean, it's a very, it's very impressive what he can do. Oh man. Yeah. I was just working on, um, ride the wild Turkey and just the tempo of that is crazy. And then Mike's playing on it is just, it's so clean and so fast. He's got such big hands. It blows my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And watching, watching his right hand when he plays, I mean, it's so, I, I love players like that, and that's something that I really strive for because I have a really weird right hand that is really too tight most of the time. <laughs> but watching people hit like him play, you just see like how fluid all the movement is and how it's just there's just no tension anywhere. It's really, really cool to watch. So then, how did you guys decide that? Okay, we're gonna. What was the the next step for Shadowgrass? You know, as you guys start getting older and you're not young teens anymore did you know that this is the band that you guys wanted to do and you wanted to like start playing and and put records out or you know what was the progression of that i would say you know a lot of what happened to us like when we were playing music when we were kids was just basically just opportunities just kind of happened around us and we just started getting gigs and we just started playing and it was something we never really even thought about it just kind of became like what we did in a weird way (laughs) if that makes any sense at all and then later on you know uh, as we started to get older you know uh, me and clay decided to both uh, move out here to johnson city and we both went to etsu um for you know bluegrass college (laughs) and i I basically did that because at the time like again it was like that's felt like all i'd ever done and i just didn't really know if there was anything else I wanted to do and I couldn't picture myself doing anything else and just figured it would be the logical next step in a way. But it wasn't until I guess really when COVID happened that we really realized how important it was to us and like how much we really wanted to do this. Um, because back when, you know, you know, COVID happened, I was in school, Clay was in school, I believe as well. And, uh, we didn't have any gigs for the first time since we were kids. We really just like weren't seeing each other at all. And it was very like apparent that like something was missing. Like we all felt that pretty strongly and, um, coming out of COVID, you know, Madison, my wife joined the band. We sat down and we at a practice one time, like we actually finally had a gig coming up and we're like, we really like, 
we really took this for granted for a long time and like we really want to do this and see how far we can take this and take this pretty seriously so really just starting and i would say like i'm trying to think when when this would have been but probably like sometime in 2021 or early 2022 is when we really decided to you know, take this seriously and push for getting some more shows and like trying to, you know, build ticket numbers and like make this a real thing. And coincidentally, around that same time, we started having some videos like really blow up on TikTok and everything then started like being like, well, maybe this is actually possible. So (laughs) (laughs) what are uh, some of the things that you felt that you got out of going to ETSU? There's a lot of great players come out of there. Yeah, there's honestly, like, I I can't recommend ETSU enough um, as a school. Like, it really, really made me realize that this is what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, one major thing was uh, the audio engineering aspect of it. I got to do a lot of work in the studio with Ben Bateson, who's, you know, the studio manager there and um, uh, runs that whole department and I actually did a uh, audio, you know, production as my um, like capstone track there. So that was something that I've always been interested in, but I never really had a chance to get into until I got to school. And I spent like, I mean, I probably my last semester I was spending like forty hours a week in the studio, just you know, from whatever time I could book. Like it would be like three a.m. to ten a.m. just trying to like record and mix and just learn as much as I possibly could. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) So that's, that's definitely one thing. And then on the, like the playing side of it, um, I got to take lessons from so many different people. It's kind of funny. Like the, in my time there, they were kind of, uh, looking for like a permanent mandolin instructor. But when I first got there, I got to take several lessons from Adam Steffi, which, you know, Adam Steffi's just, Every, you know, he's, he's great. He's Adam Steffi. <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> it, not long after that, I got to take some lessons from Hunter Berry, who was kind of filling in on mandolin while, we, while they were looking. And, you know, it was that was honestly really challenging for me because he is, he's a great mandolin player. But, you know, he, he's a fiddle player first and foremost. And the way he approaches mandolin is like a fiddle player would, honestly. So he would show me a lick and I would just I mean, it would take it, it felt like my brain was breaking just trying to follow the stuff that he would show me. <laughs> but it was really forcing me to like think about my instrument in a completely different way, which is always really helpful, I think. And uh, and then later, I got to take more lessons from uh, from Thomas Castle, who Thomas, me and Thomas were in school together, actually, when I first got to ETSU, and he graduated maybe a couple years before I did. And I remember then like, being like, well, do you want to take lessons from Thomas? I mean, I know y'all are about the same age, but like, you know, we trying him out as an instructor. I was like, heck yeah. Like he's, he's one of the best like man players I know. So, you know, we like, we worked on all kinds of stuff and, uh, he really, really showed me a lot of cool stuff as well. So man, we even had a, uh, we had, we got to do a David Grisman band one semester. I remember. And, uh, he, I think, I think he was like the instructor, but like we were, we were both, you know, playing mandolin. So we got to work up all those, you know, you know, double mandolin parts and, you know, all the quintet stuff with two mandolins. And it was, it was so much fun. 
And so you guys recorded this album in 2022. One of my favorite things about the album is the wide variety of artists songs that are on there i mean you kick it off with on and on which is just an absolute classic and your solo is just a killer man as like right off the bat I'm like oh yeah <laughs> where she be on and on i found my darling i wonder if she ever thinks of me Um, one of my favorite dead tunes, Mr. Charlie on there and, uh, and got a John Mayer song. I mean, I think that's really, really great to see so many different varieties of music on a, on an album like that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That's, uh, it was one of those things when we made that album, uh, we were just kind of, I mean, honestly, it, it, looking back, it feels like it's been forever ago because I think we put it out in pretty I think it was pretty early in 2022, but, and recorded it back in 2021, but man, we were just figuring out like what we wanted to do. And we didn't really have, we were still kind of coming out of that time where we didn't have many gigs. So honestly, like we, we hadn't even gotten to play most of those songs live at all. And we just decided like, we just started making a list of like, what would we want to put on an album? And, (laughs) (laughs) and it's, it's, it's kind of funny that it, you know, it, it worked out and it does have a really you know, wide variety of stuff on there. And, uh, yeah, it's, and it's, 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 it's something we're, we're still pretty proud of and we're, we're happy with it. Yeah, you should be. And I mean, the cool thing about it is I think the wide variety, it still sounds like the same band, you know, it doesn't sound like a, uh, you know, some sort of variety mix of all these different bands. It's, it's, that it's just really cool to hear the influences running through those songs that make it so much shadow grass. Yeah, it's good to hear. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did you record that at ETSU? We did actually. Um, uh, we we had Ben Bateson, who I mentioned earlier, uh, engineer that. So, and um, record it there at the studio. It's it's nice to you know have a studio like that so close to home and just uh, one that I've spent so much time in now that I just I know really well and we could all be really comfortable in. And they have like um, a pretty sweet assortment of different mics and all the, I mean, they have like some really killer gear there. I believe when I interviewed Thomas, he was telling me some of the stuff that they have for mics and I'm like, wow. Oh yeah. There's, there's great stuff. We've got a lot of the, uh, a lot of the stuff from Peloso mics, um, which um, they make some really, really awesome like replicas of, you know, U47s, uh, you know, just C12s, you know, whatever, whatever you're looking for, they make a replica that sounds really, really freaking good. So, <laughs> yeah. And for, and not, uh, nearly the price tag of, of the, Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, definitely a lot more affordable and minimal, minimal difference, you know, if, when you're, you know, at that price point. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So then, um, then you guys put this record out and then, do you just start doing live shows? Because I know, I mean, you've got a booking agent now, but then how did that progress? Because you're, you're, for one, your live shows are, I watched a few of them in the last week or so now on YouTube and just super high energy, killer, killer musicianship. And uh, again, the wide variety of music, which is awesome to me. 
Yeah, thank you. It's uh, I would say, you know, like after we put out that album, like that was probably around April, I want to say. Um, at that point, you know, we, we started playing that, that was the year that we really kind of started playing a few shows here and there and trying to get some like actual, you know, like ticket numbers and maybe building something up. And then, you know, through that year of, I mentioned earlier, like we, we started, you know, blowing up on TikTok, which kind of, it's, it's crazy, like how much that opened doors for us just having it almost just like gave us an audience out of nowhere where we didn't have one before. Um, and I'm, we're super thankful for that. Cause I feel like we did miss out, uh, on playing a lot of really crappy venues. <laughs> um, like we really, we kind of shortcutted our way into some really nice rooms that like, it still feels like, you know, almost like we cheated in a way, but yeah, that's, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Now those videos were they just you guys just playing? The, it's funny actually. So the first one that really, really went sort of viral for us was uh, it was it was a stupid video. It was uh, we did like guess who plays guitar in this band, and we would all like just like play a like thirty seconds on the guitar, and then you know that video got tons of engagement because people were like, oh, I think it's this person. I think it's this person. I think it's this person. <laughs> And like we had a million views before long, we're like, that's just stupid. So we basically, you know, after that, like really put a lot of time into it because we kind of saw what it could do. And we started really, uh, you know, trying to make some videos that would be more eye catching. And like just we a lot of those first videos were us just around a single mic, just playing Train 45 or something, you know, and um Eventually, we started posting those on Instagram, too, and those really took off there as well. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it's great that that's an option out there, especially for 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 younger bands, because, again, the, the music industry, you know, when I was like a, a young guy, like there was still the hope of landing a cool record deal. And, you know, you know, people that were MTV was still around ish. And, you know, you know, and you could, it was totally different. You could still sell music. There was no streaming platforms yet, which made recordings obsolete. You know, I remember, I remember mm -hmm. playing gigs at a college and I remember the first time, you know, we were used to, uh, you know, 50 people coming up and buying our CD. And then it was just like this group of five guys came up and one guy bought, he's like, oh, I'll make you a copy. I'm like, what? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little did I know, you know, now it's even worse, but I think it's yeah. great that you have an, that, you know, a, a way to get out there. That's great that you guys took such great advantage of it. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword, you know, what the, the internet has done for music. There's a lot of, a lot of opportunity, but you know, there's a lot of, you know, problems as well <laughs> um and like that i mean i mean just the whole thing where like you're saying i mean music is basically the value of music has seems like it's gone down significantly to people so that's at least recorded music in that way so that's something you have to figure out how to navigate you know it's just a completely different world it's really crazy you guys have vinyl i see uh, you know that's that's another thing that seems to have been at least a help in that have you noticed a, a a good amount of vinyl selling when you guys play live shows yeah so we actually we 
finally finally got some vinyl on the road with us now um we did we took a bunch of pre-orders to basically fund um like our first you know pressing of this record and um we basically uh, we were we were so surprised at how many people wanted to pre-order this album and uh, we were able to get a pretty good run of records and we've been selling them at shows and you know it's they're definitely more popular than CDs which is just crazy that that's you know <laughs> how the world has changed but um, I, I honestly love it because I just it's there's something really cool about you know vinyl records and just seeing all the you know the liner notes and like I have a I have a huge collection of records and I love to just that's my favorite way to listen to music is just to you know go digging through that you know stack of records and just like read about you know who's played on it who engineered this and just and just you know it's just cool it's just a big you know cool thing to have <laughs> that's what I love about Bandcamp too and artists a lot of artists have also put all that information on when you go to Bandcamp, like who played on what tracks. And because that's the one thing I miss about physical music the most is I loved getting an album or a CD or a cassette or whatever it was. And the first thing I would do is just plop down somewhere and read the lyrics to the songs. And when there was solos, I'm looking at, you know, who played on what. And I discovered yeah. so many artists that way by guys, you know, people who were guesting on albums. I'm like, oh, who's this Bela Fleck guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, what this guy's, you know, and it just, and I, I miss that portion of music and, and having that yeah. information. But, you know, it's, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it is what it is now at this point. Yeah. And like I said, it's such a double-edged sword because at the same time, you know, we've, I mean, in Shattergrass, we've gotten really lucky with, you know, having that opportunity to get our music out there and not in a way like it has gotten rid of some of the uh, gatekeepers, you know, in the industry and just like not having to have a record label or, you know, not even having to have a booking agent when you start out and just like being able to just put your music out there for everybody to see. And then hopefully, you know, maybe something might come of that. It's just, it's an opportunity that, that we've, you know, I, I guess didn't exist as easily back in the day, but. Was there a tipping point show wise for you guys? Like, did you, did you guys ever play a show where it was like, Whoa, like this, you know, this is crazy. I know you got to see, you got to skip some of the cruddy venues, which thank goodness for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, was there one show where all of a sudden it was just like, Holy cow. Like this is, this is wild, man. We're playing some really sweet places here. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, like it, there's been like several moments that, you know, I think we're, we're always just like trying to stay thankful. Cause I mean, there's always moments that where we're, our mind is blown that, you know, people came out to see us, you know, that's, I, I hope I never get tired of that. Just literally just knowing that one or two people came to see us is enough to like blow my mind. But <laughs> there was one show, um, we played pretty early in, uh, I want to say, I guess pretty early this year, um, maybe February or March ish. And we were at, uh, at salvage station in Asheville and, we had played in Asheville before. That was about the only place where we had like actually had some tickets sold, you know, before we had really, you know, blown up on, uh, you know, TikTok and Instagram. But we, 
we played in Salvage Station, and there was about like a, probably 250 some people there to see us, and like that just blew my mind because I mean it was a it was a high energy show too. Like you know everybody's right on the rail, you know the front of the stage, and and you know there's part of in my mind I'm like, well maybe these people weren't really here to see us, and then we got to the merch table, and it was just everybody's you know just lined up to come to the merch table, and I was just that really like blew my mind, and uh, you know. So what are some of the stuff that you worked on playing wise? Cause again, you're a really great player as well. Uh, obviously you've worked on other things and besides fiddle tunes and stuff like that. Was it kind mm-hmm. of like at ETSU? Do you find that really having time to do that sort of playing? Did that make a big leap or at, were you doing some stuff before that, that you really honed in on, you know, developing your style? Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, a lot of, a lot of like my style probably did develop around the time I was in ETSU. Um, but really, even before that, um, I would say I, I'm, I've never been the person to like lock myself in a practice room for several hours. Um, I've always been someone who loves to play music, but I will just grab a mandolin and just walk around our apartment for like an hour and a half and not even really be playing songs. Like I'm just, I'm just doodling. Like I'm just, I'm just there like feeling the notes under my fingers and just trying stupid stuff, you know, all the time. And I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if uh, like anything about my playing style has been that intentional or if it's just things that I listen to and they just find their way out into the way I play, you know? So just, I'm really into David Grisman right now. So like, that's just going to find its way into the stuff I play. If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> it makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. Any, uh, any outside the box stuff that you listen to that, that isn't necessarily maybe bluegrassish that people that's kind of influenced your style a little bit. Yeah, I would say, you know, so, you know, some of this probably falls into, into the bluegrass world a little bit, but like a lot of, a lot of folk music as well. I listen to, and, uh, and I'm really, I find myself really, I really like melodies and I really like, um, when I play my mandolin to try to feel like I'm, especially when improvising to feel like I'm actually like singing through my instrument and I'm not just, you know, playing a lot of notes like, you know, so that's something that I think influences my playing a lot. Um, just listening to like, I mean, even like, you know, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, just listening to melodies like that. Um, I think that finds its way into my playing sometimes. And then other than that, you know, uh, I really, really like listening to a lot of, a lot of more jam, you know, oriented music. Like, uh, I listen to the dead a lot and Jerry's guitar playing is something that I'm always just amazed by. And, uh, just the way he, you know, plays phrases and melodies and, um, and, you know, he'll be playing a lot of notes, but it still has direction. It still makes sense. And it sounds like, you know, something you would sing. That's just something I really like. Yeah. When you start listening to it, you know, I, I wasn't a deadhead right off the, the bat either. And now I, I love them, but like what sounds like noodling when you sit down and try to figure out what it is, it's, so well thought out and it's it's so melodic and different than what somebody else would play 
in you know in other genres of music it really it's uh, mm -hmm. it blows my mind you know to to hear that yeah. stuff and i really garnered a new respect when sitting down with it and going like oh man what makes you yeah. think to play this <laughs> yeah something i think about sometimes is like trying to lead i mean this is like you know especially when improvising but just trying to lead with my brain and not my fingers and not just like falling into the same licks because this feels easy for me to play at the moment, you know, like where do I actually want to take this? And like, what do I actually want to say with my instrument right now? And like, how do I use my fingers to like get what's in my head out instead of just like, you know, falling back on what my fingers are comfortable doing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you work on that when you're playing live? Yeah. You know, one thing, I mean, there's a, it's, for me, it's definitely like being in the right headspace and, um, you know, closing my eyes is something I'll do a lot because just not looking at my hands, I feel like is definitely a, a start for me. Um, that definitely helps. And then sometimes like, I don't necessarily do this on stage, but when I'm practicing, a lot of times I'll try to, I'll try to sing a melody and, you know, play the melody at the same time. Um, and I'll try to my best, and it's really, really hard. Like, I'm always working on this, but try to, like, lead with my voice. So, like, I'm singing something, and my hands are following, you know, what I'm singing. And that is, like, a very uh, pretty difficult exercise, but I think it really helps you, like, get your brain in that, in that headspace and, like, tune into that, you know, that thing. When I was interviewing Tim O'Brien for this podcast, he was talking about, there's a tune where oh, I wish I could, oh, I'll have to go back and listen now. And, but he not only sings and does that kind of thing with his voice and his playing, but then he does, he harmonizes with himself. So he'll sing like the third over the root that he's playing on the mandolin. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not smart enough for that. Yeah. Dang. Same here. I still haven't attempted it. <laughs> I was just amazed though. I'm like, wow. But some very similar. It's yeah, it's difficult, like you said, just to sing it and play it. So that's that's a great exercise. Let's talk a little bit about your live rig. First off, what's your uh, what's your main axe? Yeah, so I play a Northfield F five S. I bought it back in probably like twenty sixteen, um, and that's been my mandolin ever since. Um, I really, uh, I actually, I had a, an old Kentucky for a while as well that I would kind of have as a backup, but I actually sold it recently. So right now I'm really just rolling with the one mandolin. Um, and, you know, in terms of my live rig, um, I recently just got a pickup installed. So I've got the the K&K, &K, you know, the twin pickup in it finally. Uh, before that, I was just using an Audio-Technica mic, and it's the... Uh, I want to say 350. I think it's just the AT350, um, which I don't think they make the exact mic anymore. But um, it's just, you know, clip-on mic. And I used that for a long time, and it's worked really well. Um, but recently I've, I've got the K&K now, and I've, I'm blending the mic with the K&K, um, which more than anything just helps the mandolin feel a little bigger, fuller, brighter, um, cut through a little bit more with the stuff that we do in Shattergrass, you know, it definitely helps to have that extra, you know, low end that you get from the pickup and the extra like, you know, attack on the top end. That's not as much there with the mic. It's just, um, 
you know, volume before feedback is, you know, huge as well. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my rig right now. I'm, I use, usually I'll have a, a reverb pedal, you know, as well, which I like to throw on some delays, stuff like that. Um, I'm always kind of experimenting with effects and what works for mandolin and what doesn't. Cause it's definitely tricky to find effects that work really well with mandolin. Yes. Yeah, for sure. What, um, do you have a delay and or reverb pedal that you like to use? I've got right now, um, I've actually been rolling with like a two in one. It's the Earthquaker Devices, uh, man, what is it called? The Dispatch? Yeah, the Dispatch Master. Yeah. I have the same one. I love it, man. It's the yeah. best reverb for mandolin, I swear. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, and you know, it's, the delay section is super cool too. Like, it's just a really cool way to like, get some big, you know, spacey sounds. And, uh, and I love to, to one thing I love about that pedal too is um, if you turn up, you know, the, uh, the repeats on it and then you just like go to town on the, the time knob on the reverb, I mean, on the delay itself, you get the weirdest modulation and you can just like get all kinds of weird alien sounds that sound nothing like a mandolin. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> so I have a lot of fun like getting on the ground and like, you know, twisting the knobs and just like, you know, getting some really weird stuff happening. <laughs> That's guy. I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, do you, what's the uh, preamp? Do you do, do you go through a grace preamp then for the blending? So I've actually got the uh, radial, uh, let's see, Pro Z2, I believe. Oh, okay, the name cool. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's two channel. You've got the, the mic input and, uh, you know, quarter inch for your pickup. So, and it's got, you know, separate EQ sections for each, um, each channel, which is super awesome. Uh, and I just, you know, I use that to, you know, blend the two signals. It's my, my usually like, I've been experimenting a lot with it, but normally I'm like about 50, 50, I would say between the mic and the pickup. Uh, and then, you know, I use that for a boost as well. Um, but yeah. What about strings and picks? So for strings, I've been using the, uh, the Diodario, uh, Monel strings recently, which I really like those a lot. Um, I'm also a big fan of the, the nickel strings as well. Um, I, the Monel's though, they just have that really like that just thuddy sound that we really, you don't get a lot of sustain from them, which it's something that I've just been into a lot recently. Like uh, brand new strings for me, like I just I hate them most of the time. <laughs> right. And these are strings that I can play, you know, right out of the box, and they feel great. And I, I'll probably change my strings either every show or every other show or so, just because I break a lot of them. And uh, I, if I'm not careful, I will. If I go more than two shows, I'll probably be like breaking an E string by the end of the night. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> So that's what I really the reason I'm using those is because they I put them on and they sound great like they're just ready to go they they don't need that time to really like uh, get them dulled down basically um, and then for picks I use a blue chip uh, it's a SR I believe um, sixty so pretty thick pick um, and I actually use a left handed bevel. Um, I mentioned earlier, like I play really strange with my right hand. You know, I think there's probably way too much tension, but something that I do that's kind of odd 
Um, there's a few other guys that do this. Is my my thumb on my right hand kind of hyperextends backwards and stays locked when I'm playing. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'm attacking the strings basically opposite as most people would, if that makes sense. Yeah. Is it, does, is John Reichman, does he kind of have that? Yeah, he does. So he was, he was, and he was one of the first people I actually, I met him at, uh, I got to go to the, uh, the Swannanoa gathering, uh, camp when I was a kid and I, he was teaching there. It was like, it was a crazy year I got to go cause they had, he was there. Um, trying to think who else, Emory, Emory Lester was there. Um, Mike Marshall was there. Um, it was just a stacked mandolin like lineup that year. And, uh, and I, you know, he was talking about how he does that. And I was like, I remember going up to him like after one of his workshops, and I was like, man, I think I'll do that too. And he's like, here, like try one of these left-handed picks. And I tried it. And I was like, that feels so much better. Cause I, I've been using right-handed picks, you know, up until that point. And, um, it wasn't long after that, I got that left-handed blue chip and that has just been like my pick ever since. Um, and I've tried like some neutral beveled stuff and, you know, to see if like I could, you know, make that work. But every time I just go back to a, a left-handed bevel and it just feels so much better for me. Yeah. I, um, I also have to use a bevel. I, I know some people don't like using a bevel, but it, I've used one uh, for so long. Like anytime I get a pick that doesn't have a bevel, I'm, it's, it just weirds me out. Like, I'm like, wow, how do people play with this? You know, it's just, I'm just yeah. so used to that tone, you know, of the bevel. Or the feel, too, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, really helps, like, I don't know, just going through the strings, it feels so much more smooth to me. Uh, what, what a cool story with John Reichman. God, what a great guy. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, his, his, he's one of those guys I really look up to his playing. Like, it's just, again, like, going back to, like, the melodic stuff, like, he can just make his man on, like, really sing. It's like, you know, he's never he's never someone who's going, like, crazy and like really like i don't know like he's he's not this like if you're for, if you're just getting into mandolin he might not like strike you as this incredible player but just the way he can sing through his instrument and play something that makes you feel something that's it's just something that is i've always just come back to and his tone is just so and i'm a firm I, i'm a firm believer that you could just hand him a 99 rogue mandolin from like guitar center and it would sound like john reichman you know oh for sure yeah and just and just the way he attacks the strings and like it's 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 that's that's where it's at honestly cool man well luke i got two more questions for you here the first mm -hmm. one is if you only had 10 minutes a day to work on playing what would you work on man that's a really good question um i would say I would probably play tunes, honestly, fiddle tunes, because like that's that goes back to you know how I learned um, music was through just learning tunes every week, like from my teacher, and I think that's a really good way to incorporate, um, you know, like the right hand stuff that we've talked about, but then also just like playing melodies and like learning where these melodies go and just uh, learning phrases that you can reuse in other other scenarios you know so i would say just playing fiddle tunes honestly sure cool oh you know what i'm gonna add a question here real quick do you yeah. have a, do you have a warm-up that you do before you play a show because you guys play some pretty high energy shows 
I really, I don't really have a standard warm up. Um, I would say <laughs> something that we all do in Shattergrass, which is pretty, pretty hilarious, is like when we're in the green room, um, you know, about to go on stage, we'll usually all kind of find like our own little spot. You know, most of us have like already put our in ears on and we're already like kind of tuned out of everything and just play ridiculously fast, just like play the stupidest, fastest licks and just like try <laughs> to like trip yourself up and like. I don't know. First, that does help me kind of uh, get in that headspace and just just get my fingers moving. I guess more than anything, like warm my hands up a little bit. Um, and it's not like I'm playing anything specific. I'll just like play Big Mon as fast as I possibly can until it falls apart, which <laughs> is probably t- terrible advice. Honestly, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody do that. But uh, it's not what you should do if you're playing. But you know, uh, I don't know. I think it's got some values in it. I mean. Um... I, I, I think it was Andy Wood that I interviewed and he's, you know, a shredder guitar player, shredder mandolin player. And he had his thing was play it as fast as you can and maybe almost faster than you can, because when you go back to play it, it feels a little bit more comfortable, you know. So, like, yeah, that makes sense. Plus, get all that blood flowing and stuff like that. And maybe sometimes it makes things feel just a little bit easier when you start playing. You're like, oh, we're at a normal tempo again here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I hope I hope there's something to it, but. It's it's something like I said. It's we've all kind of we all kind of do. It's Kaiser, you know, on guitar especially. I, it's it's hilarious watching him play because I don't know I don't know how much you've heard of his playing, but I mean he can play so ridiculously fast. Like I don't know anybody that can play guitar as fast as Kaiser can sometimes. Yeah, dude, he's a killer guitar player. <laughs> and he'll just be like, I mean, he'll just be running like triplets at like 150 BPM, just like for like. I don't know, like for a minute straight, just back there. And I'm just, it's just stupid, honestly. To be young again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then do you have a favorite beer? Favorite beer? Um, I don't, I don't drink a lot of beer, but I will say uh, there's a brewery in Boone, North Carolina that I love. Um, and me and me and Madison used to play there a ton when we, uh, when I was in college. Um, it's called uh, Lost Province Brewing. And they do this one beer every year. It's uh, called Orange Sunshine, I believe. And it's uh, it's like a New England hazy IPA with just like they just load it up with orange peels, I think, in, when they're brewing it. And uh, it just it's just like a super like orange, you know, bitter flavor with all the, you know, refreshing orange juice yeah. <laughs> kind of qualities to it so that's that would probably be my favorite that sounds delicious right now (laughs) yeah yeah well luke where's the best place for everybody to find you yeah so um you know you can check out you know shattergrass on instagram tiktok facebook wherever you you know go to follow people and i'm on there as well just luke morris you should be able to find me uh and then me and my wife, our duo is called a Highland Reverie. So again, we've got, you know, an album coming out here soon. So we're super psyched about that and got a lot of, uh, we're putting out a lot of content right now around that. And, uh, yeah, that should be all the, all the places for all those things. Perfect. Well, man, Luke, this has been a pleasure talking with you, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you in November. Yeah, I hope we hope we can meet up, man. That would be awesome. 
All right, thank you so much to Luke for doing the podcast. Go out there and get that Highland Reverie album when it comes out and check out Shadowgrass. They have their album. You may already have it. It's been out a little bit, but go check them out live. I hope to see some of you at the Monroe Mandolin Camp and also at IBMA. Hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Cheers, everybody.